0: The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit (laughs) graceontheashley.org. Pastor Greg has referred to this before. I'll say it again. You, You have no idea what it's like to get up and preach after hearing what we just heard, um, it's unbelievable. You feel totally inadequate. can't be done. Let's just all go home. It was <laughs> um, glorious. We have a glorious Lord. Three years ago on this very day, third Sunday in July, a couple walked into this room and sat in the back. They had moved in from out of town. And as many people in that position do, they were church shopping. They were going through their list. Grace on the Ashley was on their list. Only that day, they encountered something they had not encountered before, powerful word from the Lord, from this pulpit. And they met people who appreciated that word and who hung on that word and the Bible, which gave rise to that word. So they left that day and, as the process was, continued to work their way through the list, but kept coming back again and again until finally one day, Anne and Roger Beardmore just kept coming, and they never stopped. And so you have made us a part of your lives in this body, and this day is a special day for us, a day of remembrance. And with that having been said, there's nothing that I would rather do than direct you to the Word of God. So let's go back to Judges chapter six. shall we, Judges chapter six, which you heard read early this morning, earlier this morning? And as we turn to Judges six, let's ask God's blessing on our word together. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. One of the worst kept secrets in our neighborhood is the retirement of Ann Beardmore two weeks ago. And as you might expect, you know, the well-wishers have been there, the... uh, The cards, the gifts, and so forth and so on. And one particular card struck us. It was a card about retirement. The five stages of retirement. Stage one, denial. I can't do it. Stage two, uncertainty. Maybe I can do it. Stage three, resistance. There's no way I can do it. Stage four, panic. Ah, what if I can't do it? And then stage five, acceptance. All right, I did it. Let's celebrate. And as I read that humorous card, I'm reminded of all of us in the times that we go through a similar process. Do you remember the first time you jumped off a diving board into a swimming pool? Do you remember the first day of junior high school? I do like yesterday. All 5 stages. Do you remember your first job? Do you remember parents the day that you brought your first child home from a hospital? Now what do I do? There's no manual on how to do this. Now we smile and we think about that. I can't do it. And we look back and wonder and say, what was all that fuss about? What was the problem? Of course we could do it and we did it. But there are other times when this whole process is very serious. We face situations in life that are very hard. And we don't know how we are going to make it through. Now, you would think that those of us who are Christians and believers in the Lord Jesus Christ would have a leg up on this whole process. We wouldn't have that problem. After all, we have the Lord, and we have the Lord's promises. Christ has promised that He will be with us wherever we go. But you see, our faith is weak, and our strength is small, and our nerve fails us, and we doubt, we doubt if we are really going to make it. Now, Paul, in writing about this very thing in the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans says these words in Romans 15. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction. He's talking about the Old Testament. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So I want to speak to you today out of that very word. The encouragement of the scriptures as God deals with one man, Gideon, who was going through that process that we just described. And we want to look at Gideon and how God deals with him and how he brings Gideon to the point where he's ready to do the impossible. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant us to live Gideon's way in accord with Christ Jesus. Turn now in Judges chapter 6 where we want to see first this morning Gideon's position. Gideon's position in verses 1 through 6. Now, what do we find Gideon doing? When the scene opens here, 1200 B.C. or so, Gideon of the tribe of Manasseh living in what is, would be northwest Israel, what do we find Gideon doing? We find him hiding. Isn't that right? Gideon's hiding. Well, he's hiding from what? He's hiding from the Midianites. Now, who were the Midianites? The Midianites were a marauding band of Arabs. They were a marauding, well, a marauding horde. Tens of thousands of men, women, and children coming from what is today Northwest Arabia. And they would come into Israel and literally devour everything. They would take everything that wasn't nailed down. They would eat the food. They would steal the property. They would use up all the resources. And they wouldn't leave until they were done. Now, you have to appreciate this situation. Those days in Israel, there was no border security. There was no national defense system. There was no standing army. And there was no police force. Why not? Because God was all those things. God was the government. God was the border security. God was the army. God was the police force. And what do we read at the end of chapter 5, right before Gideon? The land had rest for 40 years. That's what the Lord will do for a people who trust in Him. But what happened? Well, we read in the first six verses that God... Had delivered Israel into Midian's hand. They had disobeyed him, they'd left him, they were worshiping other gods, and so now the Midianites were God's chastening hand. Gideon lived in difficult and desperate days. It was a time of great stress, it was a time of injustice, it was a time of pressure and suffering. Gideon Faced great challenges. And at this point, he only saw one option to run and hide. You see, Gideon was limited. He was limited by his circumstances. He was confronted with a political situation that he could not change. He faced challenges in his personal life that appeared to him insurmountable. There was no real hope of things getting any better. And all Gideon could do was just get through the day. Have you ever had that kind of a situation? In this kind of a situation, Gideon was also very limited by his ability and his prospects. Think about it. In this situation, what did Gideon bring to the table? Absolutely nothing. Can you imagine this? Gideon applying for a job, a military leader of an army whose job it is to throw out invading armies. Gideon, let's see what you've got on your resume. Gideon, have you ever been a member of a special ops group? No. Uh, Okay, how about having served in the military? Gideon, were you ever in the Army or the Navy? No. All right, let's, let's drill down here. Gideon, when you were in college, were you ever a member of the ROTC? No. All right, Gideon, when you were in high school or junior high, you were a Boy Scout, right? You went camping. At least. No. No, Gideon. If you told Gideon to go and stab someone with a knife, Gideon would not know which end of the knife to use. That's how experienced he was in military matters. But it gets worse. Look at verse 15. In verse 15, Gideon says, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. Gideon not only had no experience, he had no connections. Lord, I'm on the last place team in the league. Lord, I'm not even on the first string. I'm I'm at the end of the bench. Lord, no way. But yet, God chooses Gideon. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. Why does God choose Gideon? You tell me. Why does God choose Gideon? Well, we already know the answer because Paul tells us again and again, and we look at our Lord Jesus Christ and the people he chose, Paul says to the Corinthians, you know the Lord, look at yourselves. There are not many noble, not many strong, not many wise, not many financially connected. You're very ordinary. But God chooses the foolish in the eyes of the world to shame the wise. He chooses the weak in order that his power may shame the strong. Remember what happened to David. Samuel went to anoint the king of Israel. And Samuel said to Jesse, David's father, bring out your sons. Out comes Eliab, son number one. And Samuel says, I know he's the one. And God says to Samuel, no, do not look on his appearance. Do not look on how tall he is. For the Lord has rejected him. The Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, the resume. The Lord looks on the heart. Who are your Midianites today? What are your challenges? Where has God put you? What is your position this morning? When God comes to you this morning, where does he find you? You see, living the Christian life isn't always easy. We face difficult times and we struggle. And at times we surrender to defeat. We hide. We lack the strength to continue. We lack the faith to overcome. We know what it is to be stuck and paralyzed by fear or discouragement. But the great message of this passage is this, that if God is for us, who can be against us? In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, when God finds Gideon in this position, in verses 7 through 12, we see God's visitation. God encounters Gideon in verses 7 through 12. You will notice that God takes the initiative. God comes to Gideon. And you'll notice here that it is God himself who comes to Gideon. We read in verse 11, Now the angel of the Lord came? Now who is the angel of the Lord? The angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. It is the Lord himself. And we see the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, coming again and again in the Old Testament, came to Abraham in this way, as the angel of the Lord. And Gideon does not recognize him as such until later, but it is the Lord. For instance, look at verse 14, where we read, And the Lord turned to him. Yes, it's the Lord, Jehovah, Jehovah God. Look at verse 22. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The angel of the Lord and the Lord God are the same. The Lord comes to Gideon you'll notice that God responds to the cries of his people. Back to verses 7 and 8. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on the count of the Midianites, the Lord sent. The Lord responds. When we cry to God, whatever our situation, he always responds in mercy and in love toward us. Now, you'll notice how he responds. He responds by telling us the truth. And then He begins to move behind the scenes in order to help us. How does God respond? Verses 7 through 10. First, with a general message to all of Israel. You see the general message. Through the prophet. He sends a prophet first. He doesn't send a deliverer first. He sends a prophet first. He sends a preacher to say, this is what I have to say to you. This is why you're in this mess. And what God does is put the whole national situation in its proper theological context. Now you will notice that he did not consult the media. He did not ask the news outlets, why is this happening, and what is the interpretation? The historians are not consulted. God declares what history means. God interprets events. He says what they mean. And they always have a spiritual theological root. God is moving through human history, including the history of our country, always for the same reason, to affect his purposes on earth for the sake of his body, the body of Christ, the church. And so God is controlling history here for his purposes. To call the people of God back to himself in full obedience and surrender to him. But you'll notice God goes from that general message of repentance and faith to a personal message for Gideon. And the personal message is in verses 11 and 12. It says that God appeared to Gideon. God will show himself to you. Whatever your situation is, when you cry out to him, God will show himself to you in an undeniable way, and I say that on the authority of Scripture. Now, Gideon didn't notice it was the Lord at first, and we don't notice it's the Lord either, oftentimes. Because God comes to us often through other people. But finally, Gideon gets the picture. In verse 22, as we read earlier, Gideon finally perceives, this is God talking to me. And God will get through to us, too. Now, you'll notice what God says to Gideon. What is this personal message to him in verses 11 and 12? God says, Gideon, you need to know three things. First, I'm here. Now remember what Gideon said, where's the Lord? Gideon, I'm here. Always been here, never left. I'm here. Second message. I say who you are, not you. Now you've got to appreciate the humor here. Is there humor in the Bible? Look at verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, point one. I'm here, Gideon. Point two. Oh, mighty warrior. O oh, mighty man of valor. Really? Where? What man of valor? Gideon's hiding in the winepress. What is God saying? Gideon... I say who you are, not you. Gideon thought he knew who he was, but he was wrong. Do you know why Gideon was wrong? Because he was looking in the wrong place. Do you know where Gideon was looking to find out who he was? He was looking in the mirror. That's the wrong place to find out who we are. He was looking at himself. He was looking at his abilities, his resume. He was looking and listening to what other people said about him. Wrong place. Well, then why did God call him, O mighty warrior? Because God knew what he was going to do with Gideon he saw the potential that he was going to build into Gideon. And on the basis of that, God called him what he, God, would make of Gideon. And now Gideon needed to know it too, and he needed to believe it. Now you remember, God is always doing this. What did Jesus say to Simon? Simon, you're no longer called Simon. I decide what your name is. Your name is Peter. Why? Because you're going to be my rock. You're going to be a rock. And you need to start thinking like you're my rock. You're not Simon the fisherman anymore. You're my rock. Saul of Tarsus. No longer Saul of Tarsus. Now it's the Apostle Paul. And God does that with you and me and every single person he calls to himself. I ask you this morning, do you know who you really are? If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Behold, the old is past and the new has come. How did Paul say it in Galatians 2? It is no longer I, Saul of Tarsus, who live, but Christ who lives through me. And the life I live now is not like the life I lived before. The life I live now is lived through faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The purpose of much of the New Testament is to get us to see who we are in Jesus Christ. One of the biggest lies that we tell ourselves is that God only uses special people with special gifts and special qualifications. Wrong. We are in Christ. If we have believed on Him, we are the children of God. We have been adopted into His family. We are God's project now. We are His masterpiece Paul says we have been chosen in him to be his workmanship to do the works that he has laid out for us from all of eternity. We are citizens in his kingdom. We belong to him and we have all we need in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, does God get through to Gideon? What would you do at this point? Well, let's look at Gideon's response. Point number three, Gideon's hesitation. Verse 13 and verse 15. Gideon does not respond by saying, Yes! Let's do it, Lord! Gideon does what we do. He, he starts to put up the barriers. He starts to put up the objections. No, 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 no. And Gideon becomes his own worst enemy. Does this remind you of anybody? It reminds me of me. It, 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 it's Gideon who keeps himself stuck. Gideon needs to be liberated from himself. Now, notice the barriers that he puts up. First, barrier number one, theology. Theological doubts. Look at verse 13. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? By the way, do you see what he learned at Sunday school? Church school matters. Gideon remembered the lesson about church history, but he could not put it together with what was happening now as an adult. But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. You see what his theological doubts are. Where's God? The oldest objection in the book. If there is so much suffering in the world... How can you even say that God exists? And if he exists, where is he? He certainly doesn't care. And you'll notice that Gideon here was questioning, really, God's goodness and God's love. And what is his conclusion based on his doubts? The Lord has forsaken us. God's dead. Turn out the lights. Now, those questions and doubts are nonsense. They're ridiculous. You tell me, why is that ridiculous? Well, number one, Gideon's saying, Sir, where's the Lord? And the Lord's standing right in front of him. I mean, how ridiculous can this get? But it's ridiculous for a second reason. Gideon himself is proof against his own doubts. If God didn't exist, Gideon, how did you ever get here? How did you come to this place? Not only that, Gideon, you just said that you believe that he has done a lot of wonderful deeds in the past. He's a God of history. Gideon, your own words answer your doubts. Dude, you're your best preacher. It's crazy. Gideon himself is an answer to his own doubts, and so are we. When we start doubting God's goodness and God's love to us, has God left me? Has has he turned his back on me? I ask you, look in the mirror. And my question to you is, why are you still breathing? If God was against you, you'd be dead already. You'd be in hell already. But God has so loved us that He sent His only begotten Son. And having given us His Son, will He not give us all things? We already have the own answer, or the answer to our doubts, in ourselves. But He goes further. God Himself has just answered Gideon's doubts with a sermon. Look at verses seven through 12, seven through ten. He explains to Gideon exactly why this is happening. No, the Lord hasn't forsaken you. He is in this chastisement. He is in this suffering. He is in this difficulty to use it to bring you Gideon and to bring Israel back to him. God has just explained all the theology that Gideon needs Sometimes I would encourage you to reflect on how you hold yourselves back by your own doubts, your own questionings, our own complaints. We do it to ourselves. But you see, the beauty of this passage is that Gideon does exactly the right thing with his doubts. He takes them to the Lord. Only the Lord can resolve our doubts, and he does it through his word applied by the Spirit. Gideon saves the day by taking his doubts to the Lord. And that is how we resolve them. There's faith mixed with his doubt. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. But Gideon gets it done. But then, there's a second barrier that he puts up. We referred to this earlier, and that is a personal barrier, verse 15. You see, Gideon here is focusing on himself. He's focusing on what others say about him, what relatives say, and what I say about myself. And into this, God speaks four things. And there are four things that you and I need to remember when it comes down to this. We look ourselves in the mirror, and we say, I can't do it. Number one, what does God speak? He says, Gideon, I know who you are. God knows exactly who we are. He created us. He knows all about us because he made us, and he knows all about our shortcomings. Number two, Gideon, I know what you are. God knows who we are and what we are. What are we? We're sinners. Sinners deserving judgment, but sinners saved by grace. We're in need of grace. Three, God knows who you are and what you are in relation to Him. God does not see us as integers or separate entities. He sees Roger Beardmore in Christ. He sees Bill. He sees Mary in Christ. He sees us in relation to Jesus Christ and his saving sacrifice for us. And then the fourth thing that God speaks here into Gideon and into us, God knows what He will do with you. And you don't. I have no idea what God's going to do with you. This week, this year, this decade, I don't know. I don't even know what God's going to do with me. I don't know what God's going to make of you or make of me. But I know this, He does. He's got a plan. How does David put it in Psalm 138? The Lord will fulfill His purposes for me. Nothing can stop it. He's, he's going to play out His plan in my life. I don't know what His plan looks like. It looks bad. This chapter's not looking good. But God knows the final chapter. It's already been written. How does Paul put it? I know, Lord, that he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. We are God's children now, and it does not appear what we will be, says John, but we know this. If Jesus Christ comes again, we will be like him, because we'll see him as he is. Well, now last, let's look at how God deals with Gideon's hesitation and ours God's exhortation. God's exhortation. And this is the key, the, verse 14. It's the climax, so let's read it. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. Now notice, God does not answer Gideon's doubts. Let's go through theology Point one, point two, Theology 101. He doesn't even do that. God comes and he does three things to Gideon. The first thing he does is he looks at it. Did you catch that? Now, the Hebrew of this is fascinating. And the Lord turned to him. Now, literally, and some of your translations bring this out. Literally, that means to... Turn around in a different direction and look something or someone right in the face. It's as if, and this is an anthropomorphism, a human way of saying this, it's as if the angel of the Lord said, Gideon, this is what I want you to do, this is what I said, now go do it, and he turns to leave, assuming that's all that needs to be said. Then Gideon comes up with his objections. Not me, Lord. I can't figure this out. Not me. I don't want to do it. Hearing that, the Lord turns around. And he looks Gideon straight in the eyes. That's what this means. And he looks at him. Now, have you ever gotten that look? Have your parents ever given you that look? Excuse me? What was that? Did, did I hear that correctly? You ever got in that look? Now, this is a special kind of look, though. Yes, it's a look of authority. This is the Lord you're talking to. But it's not a look of punishment. It's the same look that our Lord gave His disciples in the upper room after He had been risen from the dead. you remember that? We read it in John 20. Thomas was there, the Gideon of the New Testament, with all of his doubts. And Christ comes into the room, and we read that He looked at them. And they saw the Lord. He looked at them, And he said, here are my hands, feel my side. And we read that when they saw the Lord that way, a peace came over them. And they were never the same again. It is the same look that Peter and John gave the cripple at the gate beautiful in Acts chapter 3. You remember that man? He laid there for many years looking for alms from people who came through the temple doors at the gate beautiful. Peter and John walking through, the man looks at them as if to say, please give me alms, and we read, they turn around, and they gaze directly at him. And they said, look at us. Look at us. Silver and gold have we none, but in the name of Jesus Christ, do the impossible. Get up and walk. It's the same look. It's a look of love, mercy, peace, and power. God looks at Gideon again, and he looks strength right into him. He looks peace right into him. He looks comfort and encouragement and power right into him. What a look. What a look. And Gideon was never the same again. Then he commands Gideon, verse 14. Okay, you've given me the look. Alright, what should I do? Command number one, go. But how will I do it? In the strength that you have, in this might of yours. Very interesting expression. On the surface it appears, well, Gideon get some self-confidence. You've got everything you need right? right between your ears. No. God is saying, go in the strength that I have just given you by that look. And by that word, the strength that you now have, which has now become your strength, take that. Take the strength that I've given you now. But Lord, will it succeed? Look at verse 14. Go and save Israel from the hand of Midian. You'll do it. It'll succeed. And then God does something else. He asks Gideon a question. Isn't that what the Lord always does? Our Lord doesn't stoop to answer our silly questions. Our Lord asks us the question. Gideon, isn't it I who am sending you? You're focused on you and the Midianites. Isn't it I who have said go? Isn't it I who have strengthened you? Isn't it I who will be with you? Isn't it I who have made the promise you will succeed? Isn't it I who will make it happen through you? Gideon, you forget who's sending you. Isn't it I who will be with you forever? And from that moment on, yes, Gideon had his stumbles, but he never really wavered. Because now... For Gideon, God was real. His word was true. His promises were sure. Gideon believed that what God said would happen, would happen. His presence was certain. And he believed that God's power was enough. So Gideon never gave up. From this time forward, he never gave in. He never went back. He never walked out on God. And he never lived the same way again. Now I ask you this morning, where is God sending you this week? Is God sending you into the hospital this week? Is God sending you into surgery this week? Is God sending you into that job and that workplace this week? Is God sending you back to the neighborhood, into that troubled relationship? Is God sending you into a new situation? Or is he sending you back into that old situation that never seems to get any better? Is God sending you into trouble? Is God sending you into retirement? It doesn't matter where it is. Because into that situation, wherever it is, you're going to take three things. First, you're going to take you. Can't help it. Wherever you go, there you are. You'll take all your doubts, all your sins, all your fears, all your abilities. You'll take your personality. You'll take yourself. But there's a warning there. Because if that's all you take, you're on your own. That's the position the world's in. They think that's all they need in any situation. But if that's all we take, we're on our own. Now, those of you who want to go further, look to take someone else God Himself. God is your Creator. God is your ruler. He is your sender. He has promised to be with you through Jesus Christ. He has promised to be with you. His presence, His power, promise of victory, no matter what. God will be with you, just like with Gideon. But I want you to notice something. There's a third step to this. And that is, Take with you as Gideon did the look of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, second member of the Trinity. You know it was said among Napoleon soldiers that when Napoleon takes our hands and looks at us, we feel like conquerors. Take the hands and the face and the look of your Lord Jesus Christ, like those disciples in the upper room. When we listen to the voice of Christ in that situation and look full into His wonderful face, suddenly we are changed. And His strength and love will become the most important things to you on earth. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim. You know what comes next. And the light is glory and grace. Is it not Jesus who sent you? its us Our Lord we weren't there three